We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 4-3 Milwaukee ninth inning. The 0-2 swing and a miss, strike three. Kimbrell strikes out Garcia. The stretch in the 2-2. Swing and a miss, strike three. Kimbrell strikes out Pena. Strikes out two in the inning. Yeah, he looked really good. He looked really good. I've been trying to find a spot for him, and and the feedback has been great every every time I talk to the, the pitching guys and his bullpens and the work he's put in. I think you saw that tonight. Ball was exploding out of his hand really well. Some bad swings. Look look sharp. That is Craig Kimbrell with the strikeouts, and David Ross with the conversation last night about Craig Kimbrell who came in in a one-run game. Um, you look, the Cubs lost the game. There's stuff that we could talk about. They've been up in a tree playing an incredible brand of baseball all weird season long. Um, but let's discuss a couple things from that game last night. I'm Matt Spiegel. He's Bruce Levine. It's inside the clubhouse here on 670 The Score. Bruce, you were there uh, and have the benefit of that perspective in addition to the benefit of being technically closer to the Zoom the Zoom media calls, um, but also just kind of getting a feel for the way that things are and talking to people around the ballpark. What did you think about Craig Kimbrell's performance, how he looked pitching last night in a successful outing? Well, he looked more like himself, Matt, because he was aggressive and he was using his fastball and it wasn't uh, right down the middle. So he was using mm. uh, that. Uh, he came up with a breaking ball that uh, was decent enough. You know, the, the, the key for Kimbrell in his mind uh, is to be able to throw a breaking ball early in the count for a strike, okay? Um, not a BP pitch, not a, you know, something with a little break. Uh, that is going to be a landing in the seats. But uh, the, type of, the type of slider that he has, the type of breaking ball he has that he's had throughout his career, that he doesn't often have to sh- throw for a strike in the past, uh, but uh, just to show... Uh, he he stops he has stopped getting chases okay so that is a detrimental and can be uh, career ending to dominant closers when they can't come up with another pitch or command their pitches better uh, we see guys who lose some of their fastball along the way and Kimbrel still has a very uh, above average 97 98 mile an hour fastball but throwing it for a strike. Uh, is not the optimum thing for a closer. The optimum thing for a closer who has status is that he shows you pitches that appear mm-hmm. to be strikes that aren't, okay? In his case, he's gonna, he, had, he had to go back to square one and establish that he had command of his pitches, that he is, uh, has 
the ability to uh, uh, believe in himself again, that he can regain his status um, in the team and his belief in himself. This is a, a very precarious thing for a guy who was on a Hall of Fame track. I mean, this is uh, one of the best closers in history over his first 10, 10 11 years, Matt. So from all of that, um, it's mostly between his ears because the stuff is still there, but the command has been way off. And when you have bad command and they're not swinging at the pitches that appear to be strikes, you're going to end up like he has. And that is trying to reinvent himself, get back to where he's at and uh, regain that ability because none of the, none of the uh, other teams are intimidated by him right now and nobody is chasing. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, some very good signs last night, a lot of good stuff uh, in the analysis that you just shared there. The, the fastballs were high where they need to be, where he needs to mm-hmm. live. His four-seam right. fastball has that ride, that carry, and it's most effective. And if anybody's watching last night in the middle of the game, when Freddie Peralta comes in for the Brewers and he throws his high fastballs right. one after another, his are only at 95 or you know maybe 96, but they're incredibly effective because of the spot and because of the way it moves. That's where Kimbrell needs to live, and he did live and there last night. You're right, night. Matt. That's a great point. Uh, I, that's exactly what I was thinking of when I was watching Peralta come in and basically save that game after yep. Woodruff had it come out. Woodruff got himself physically and mentally taken out of that game by some great at-bats by the Chicago Cubs, including Jason Kipnis that had an incredible nine-pitch at-bat uh, with only one ball in it, following off pitch after pitch after pitch, and then uh, blooping in a single. Uh, so when he, Peralta came in, he put an end to that by yep. just what you described, using that rising fastball and also a very good breaking ball at 84 uh, that he could throw for a strike and show initially in that. And that's a, that's a prime example of exactly where Kimbrell is trying to get back to at this point. But, uh, you know, the scouting report out there on Kimbrell right now is do not swing at the breaking ball. Make him throw a strike. Uh, before you start to settle in. And uh, that is the difference in his effectiveness right now. So, yes. And so last night, he throws two fastballs right away to the leadoff man, Avi Garcia, and he's got him 0-2. The third pitch is a curve at the bottom of the zone. And that's where that curveball, that knuckle curve, when it comes out and looks like the high fastball, that's how you destroy people if you're Craig Kimbrell. It doesn't have to be a curve in the dirt. It's got to be a curve low in the zone that looks like the fastball that was high in the zone. It's a, so, and, and, and Garcia fouls it off and then throws a fastball, another high one next at 98 or just about 98, and strikes him out. Later on against Justin Smoke in the inning, he got ahead in the count. He threw two of those knuckle curves for strikes. Smoke watched one. The second one, he swung over. That's got to feel great for Kimbrell who remains committed to being the two-pitch pitcher that he is. If you're going to be a two-pitch pitcher, then you've got to absolutely nail your spots at the top of the zone with the fastball and at the bottom of the zone with that knuckle curve. Um, my question for you is, Bruce, is is what the usage is. I, I've been so impressed with David Ross's handling of this, willing to have some awkward moments publicly as he sorts through it privately with Kimbrell, going out there to take him out in the middle of a save situation at one point. Yesterday, having him warm up right next to Jeremy Jeffress with the Cubs down an inning. We've Mm -hmm. seen that situation before, Bruce, where 
the the closer is warming up next to another guy, and everybody in the ballpark knows, all right, if they get a lead, the closer's coming in. If they don't get a lead, yeah. uh, then the other guy's coming in. I I don't know who the who it was going to be last night. And, I mean, I suspect that it was going to be Jeffress if they got a lead because they didn't get a lead and in came Kimbrell. But those kind of things, that kind of communication between the manager and an, a Hall of Fame track closer can be so awkward. I think that Ross has handled that stuff really, really well so far. He has, and, and they haven't had to sacrifice uh, games because of the bullpen. Uh, yes. So well, Jeffress has been a, a savior for that pen. Uh, some of the other guys getting experience. Wick has been uh, the closer um, a little bit. Uh, there's been some scary moments, but he's growing into that role. Again, establishing his breaking ball has been difficult. It's been getting hit hard, but he was able to get out of a couple of jams at times they've used him in that role. So getting Kimbrell back is the key to their season. Getting the Kimbrell back, the guy from two years ago, that is uh, that is the key to the to the Cubs playing the Dodgers in the NLCS uh, here in October. Yeah, the Dodgers are are clearly the Dodgers. Uh, they've got three different MVPs, right? The last two days, Mookie Betts hits three homers on Thursday night. It's the sixth time he's done that. He's now tied with Sammy Sosa. And Johnny Mize, the big cat, Johnny Mize, right? The original big cat, I think. Yeah, he's um, done it uh, a lot quicker than those guys did. Hey, hey, uh, we have a special guest. Let's uh, let's roll into it uh, right now, Matt. The Alpamani Ford Hotline is where the guests call in. The Alpamani Ford Hotline is uh, where they join us, and Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. Ryan Dempster, our good friend and uh, the star, one of the great stars of the new Marquee Network, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse, and Demp. Picking up the conversation where Matt and I are at, uh, you have uh, some tremendous experience as a starter, as a closer. What have you seen about uh, Kimbrell? Where do you think he's at right now? And what percentage of this is between the years? Well, I think last night, I mean, just the fact that he had, you know, six swing and misses, and I think he's had five all year leading up to that or whatever it was, or his last outing. So I think that's a super positive thing. And, you know, Craig is a pro, and he's going to continue to try and iron this out. And, and I've been there. You know, 05, I had a great year closing. 06, I was brutal. And then 07, I was decent again. So, um, you know, you and, – and he has much better stuff than I have. So, I, I think that just putting the work in and getting back to where you get to um, and you get results, then you get confidence. And when confidence is – you're right, between the years, right? So – that's what you want. You want them uh, thinking positively and that good things are going to happen. And when they do, just like when negative things happen and they steamroll and become this snowball downhill, it can work the same in the other direction too. And that's that's all you can do is put the work in and hope that you continue to get those positive results and then you start to get that confidence back. Hey, Demp, let's, uh, let's spend a lot of time talking about that 06 year. That was bad, huh? Let's just hang out there mentally. <laughs> oh, for, for man, was, that ever, was that ever a downer? <laughs> Yeah, no, let's not. Let's not. Time. Yeah, no, let's not. Um, uh, but I, I thought Kimbrel. Now you, you tell us. Like the way I look at it, I, I see he wants that knuckle curve to tunnel and look the same like the four seamer, right? And the four seamer last night was right there at the top of the zone where he's got to live. And that knuckle curve was at the bottom of the zone, not necessarily in the dirt, but at the bottom of the zone. Like that, it that looked optimal in terms of the where he wants those spots to be hit last night. Did it look good in, in that sense to you? Yeah, you know, and, and he's had some outings, um, you know, 
there were times, you know, the second out of the year, even though he gave up a couple homers, I thought his command was really good. And, you know, you, it's tough because especially in a 60-game season, you don't have time for your closer to iron things out. You don't have time for any relievers to iron things out. you got to win today, and that's all that matters. So Dave's trying to manage that, right? Um, the team's trying to manage that. Um, so it's your job as an individual to put that work in. And when you when you see things in the ball moving in the right direction of where you want it, like you said, living it above above the swing path at the top of that zone with that explosive fastball, you're going to get those swings and miss. And sometimes when, when he throws it down on the knees, and, and a lot of guys nowadays, that used to be the go-to, throw it down there. Well, things have evolved. Hitters have learned how to lift that down pitch and, and drive it out of the ballpark, catch it deep in the zone and let the bat barrel – and the, and the velocity take care of, you know, the power for you. And so pitching above the belt, you know, it looks so inviting. I was a terrible hitter, but I know standing in the box how awesome that pitch in middle of the zone above the belt looks. But when it's 95-plus, it's hard to catch up to. And so you get a lot of swings and misses up there. And then, and then off of that, being able to have the breaking ball go down, you know, below the knees, you know. And then, and then what happens is when you're commanding it for strikes, then you get the swings and misses in the dirt. When you're going for the swing and miss in the dirt on, you know, a 1-0 count or a, a, an 0-1 count, guys are just going to take that. But when you're able to command it and throw pitches for strikes, then you can expand. And I think, you know, you just you'll see more and more of that out of them the more he works at it, and, and good for him for putting the work in. Yeah, you see, uh, you know, a guy like Hader who doesn't really wasn't really throwing 97 or 98 yesterday, but still uh, be able to get himself out of jams because. There, there's still that huge, great belief that you see, that confidence in that pitcher on the mound. If you've watched the game a long time, like you have, and most of the people that listen to this show and Matt, where you see the confidence in their closer, and even if he's in a jam, he still feels he's superior to you and he's going to get you out. Uh, what, is, what is that all about, Demp, as far as you know, just showing that confidence, uh, your body language exuding that type of I'm, I'm going to get you out no matter what type of position I'm in, as opposed to, you know, the letdown of what you see from a guy like Kimbrell struggling and, and guys going through those funks as a closer. Yeah, it's a very real thing, um, body language and confidence and um, energy behind a baseball. And I know you have to execute pitches and you can't throw every pitch down the middle. Um, but, you know, I had the luxury to, to be around Rod Beck a little bit before he passed away. And Shooter it was great about that. Probably as good as there was closer-wise of just saying, here you go, hit it. And I asked him one day, I said, what do you do when you got the bases loaded? And, you know, big situation. And he said, Ryan, I just grab it straight across the four seams. And I just rear back and throw it as hard as I can. And I just started laughing. I go, really? He goes, yeah, how many times have you ever done that? And you give up a hit or you, you know, give up a rocket somewhere. I think that the baseball gods, the, you know, the energy force, when you have that energy behind your pitch and that conviction behind your pitch, a lot of times you get positive results. And just like when you throw a pitch timidly, you know, you could be like, I'm going to throw this fastball away here, but I'm not quite sure. And you paint the corner and it's 94 and, but it gets whacked, and you're like, why did that pitch get hit? That was a good pitch. Because <laughs> the positive energy behind that pitch wasn't there, and that's why they always tell us as pitchers, you know, select the pitch you want to throw, choose your location, and then execute and do it with conviction. And there's a reason they preach those things is because it works. So there's something behind it. I don't know if it's a little extra carry on the ball, a little extra life, 
whatever the baseball can feel your positive energy. I don't know, but believe me, being in that situation, you know, on both ends, knowing when mm-hmm. it's going well and also on the other end when it's going bad, I know that that works. Oh, man, it, it reminds me of going all in on a poker hand when your hand is really not that good, but you're just going and, and you know, aggression gets rewarded. It often gets rewarded in, in lots of different phases of life. I, I love this. I love that we can sit around and dissect this game for every little thing, but Rod Beck says, just kind of grab it and throw it as hard as you can. Last night, <laughs> Christian Yelich, who had been struggling like crazy, said as he was going up to face Alec Mills, his quote after the game was, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to swing. I should swing at a pitch. That's what I should do. I haven't been swinging much. So he decided to swing, and he hits that changeup way out of the ballpark. Sometimes it's that simple, I guess, Ryan. It is. It is. And, and you know, you try to tell young kids that, like, you know, don't go up there and look for the perfect pitch. You have three swings. I'd much rather see a swing three times and strike out than, you know, get 0-2 and have to fight battle and then chase a pitch out of the zone. So, you know, that mentality of just like, you know what, I'm not looking for anything other than something out over the plate and I'm going to go swing and hit it, um, it pays dividends. And, you know, your mentality, listen, this game is 90% mental. We, they, all those guys have physical ability. All the guys in South Bend have physical ability. All the other minor leaguers out there, the people that get drafted. You know how many guys I've played with that threw 98, but they couldn't throw strikes because it's between the ears. It's how you overcome failures. You're going to fail in baseball. The greatest hitters in the world, the ones in the Hall of Fame, fail 70% of the time. How do you handle those failures, and how do you make adjustments, and how do you move past that and say, you know what, just because I failed yesterday or last inning – or last pitch doesn't mean I'm going to fail again. I'm going to be positive and I'm going to push forward. And ultimately the guys who have careers in the big leagues and last a long time have that mentality that they're able to push through through those things. Damp in closing with you. And thanks again for joining us on inside the clubhouse. Uh, the front office re- really appeared to have done their uh, work by bringing in Jeffress and um, Kipnis, not only for the contributions on the field, but we've heard from the other players and Ross about their leadership ability and their veteran having been there and done that type stuff. How essential do you think that is, and what are your observations on that? A hundred percent. You know, Jeffress, a guy who was an all-star a couple of years ago and just battled, you know, some shoulder issues, but I mean, he's back to throwing the ball the way he's capable of throwing it. But that, all of that aside, stuff aside, the leadership is is what is so important. You know, just because you you have somebody who, uh, you know, like when they start doing this, when they start crying in the bullpen because things aren't going their way, you got it. You got to show a little bit of leadership, and and then they follow you, and then they learn from that. And I think you know that's what's super important is having that. I remember going to the bullpen. I was. I was nervous. I'm going to go down and close. I never closed before. And I leaned on the guys um, in the bullpen, the veteran guys. Hey, what am I doing here? Even all the way back to 04 when I first came back from Tommy John, the Kent Merkers, the Mike Remlingers. Hey, what do you do in these situations? And then, you know, it, it really, really helps. And Jason Kipnis, I mean, here's a guy, first of all, who's, you know, a multiple all-star, you know, a stud player, and he's getting on with age. We get it but he's still a veteran and he's still experienced and he still has all these things so that when he's plugged in there to play, he's going to do well. But the the guidance that he gives guys like Nico Horner, Javi Baez, you know, is, is really so valuable because 
he accepts that role. He brings that role on. He's not sitting there going, I should be playing every day. He's like, I'm going to be a great teammate, and I'm going to push this kid to be really great as well, and I'm going to show him what it takes to be a big leaguer and how to play second base and the things that might come up and yada, 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 and how to put professional bat together. So it's just so valuable having two guys like that, one on your bench, one in your bullpen. I've always believed that those guys on your team, if you're thinking your 24th or 25th guy on your team is, or now the 28th guy, whatever it is, is statistically has to be the best player. Otherwise you're not going to win. Then you're not going to win. You need leadership guys. You need guys to help these guys. And those two guys are proving that, you know, early on here in the season and will continue to pay dividends, not only this season, but through those young players careers and those young relievers careers. It's, it's really, really important, and I'm glad they have those guys. Hey, Deb, tell your little girl you to accept her, her eighth-inning yes. uh, assignment. Tell her to accept her eighth-inning yeah. assignment with, uh, you know, a, a little was, more. I was just going to say, you know. I was just going to say, Deb has the formula for pitching and for the baby all at the same time. There so you go. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, a, thanks a ton for uh, joining us, Demp. Uh, keep up the great work and Marquee, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon. You got it. You bet, Bruce. Maddie, have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Ryan. All right, thanks. Ryan Dempster, we quickly have to step out and come back with Jerry Harrison of the Dodgers uh, pre- and post-game show, talk a little bit about the celebration. 100 years of Negro League Baseball being celebrated by Major League Baseball this weekend in all of the Major League parks. parks. Uh, so Jerry will be joining us next. Sounds good. He's uh, Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. It's Inside the Clubhouse on 670 to score. Chicago sports starts its day the Mullion Hall way. Mullion Hall, first to let you know what happened with your favorite Chicago team last night. Every morning, I look forward to putting on the radio, driving into work. Trust Mullion Hall with your Chicago sports. Mornings 5 to 9. You guys really are the best. On 670 The Score, Chicago's number one sports station. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. It's inside the clubhouse. I'm Matt Spiegel. I'll be here with you tomorrow morning for Hit and Run between 9 and 12. Among the guests on that show, Tony Gwynn Jr. will be on the show. Multi-generational MLB players all around us. And we go now to the Alpamani Ford hotline. Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. Bruce Levine, who are we going to talk to here? A great friend of ours and uh, Chicago slash Naperville native Jerry Harrison Jr., who does a great job on the pre and post game for the Dodgers out in L.A., joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Jerry. Morning, guys. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're, we're doing great. And uh, let's, let's first start by uh, talking about the celebration this weekend by Major League Baseball. The 100-year anniversary of Negro League Baseball is being celebrated this year. Uh, the whole year wide, and Sunday, Major League Baseball will have a special celebration with all the players wearing Jackie Robinson's 42, something that's usually done in April when Jackie made his debut in 1947, now being celebrated this year uh, because of the fact that we had the pandemic at that time, uh, avoiding us from being able to have baseball now on this special day. In your family alone, there's a tremendous pride about this, including your grandfather, Sam, who was not only a Negro League ball player, but the first African-American player to play for the Chicago White Sox. What does this weekend mean to you and your family? 
Well, first and foremost, uh, we are very appreciative of uh, Major League Baseball, you know, recognizing the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. And, you know, like you mentioned, tomorrow uh, they're going to be wearing uh, number 42 league-wide, uh, Jackie Robinson's number. So really appreciate that. I know a lot of players are happy about that. Uh, but when we talk about the Negro Leagues, you know, obviously uh, I think about my grandfather, Sam, and, and the many ball players, talented ball players, that really uh, sacrificed a whole lot to give uh, opportunities to so many, not just black players, but Latin players as well. Uh, there wouldn't be Ken Griffey Jr., there wouldn't be Frank Thomas, there wouldn't be Sammy Sosa, there wouldn't be so many uh, black and Latino players if it wasn't for them. So it's great that they're, they are recognizing uh, the history of the Negro Leagues and how important and how vital it was uh, for um, that process to take place so others can have an opportunity. So definitely appreciative of my grandfather. I know my grandfather, when I used to talk to him uh, when he was alive, uh, there was never anything bitter. You know, he thought it was an incredible uh, opportunity to play in that league, play with hmm. and against great players. Uh, and I grew up learning about Double Duty Ratcliffe, Cool Papa Bell, Josh Gibson, uh, Larry Doby, so many great players. And uh, just very fortunate that uh, my grandfather did play a little bit in the big leagues and was able to pass on the game of baseball to his sons and his grandsons. That's amazing that you had that opportunity to learn that stuff from him. Jerry, uh, Jerry Harrison Jr. was playing at Southern Illinois in 96 and 97, Missouri Valley, Missouri Valley Conference Freshman of the Year, uh, playing in the Cape Cod Leagues, and your grandfather passed in 97. But it's wonderful to hear and have read before, but, but tell us a little more about the kind of conversations you had with him and some of the stories he would tell you about those players and about his experience in the Negro Leagues. What a, what a great gift in your life to be able to have uh, a living and, and sharp-witted grandfather around to tell you those stories for as long as he did. You know, and, and you made a great point. It definitely was a gift and something that I started to really appreciate after uh, I, I started to grow up a little bit in my 20s and, and early 30s. But, you know, as a kid, you know, learning about black history in school, you know, we do some projects, you know, about Negro League players. And I remember a kid in seventh grade doing a project uh, on the Negro Leagues, and he talked about Double Duty Ratcliffe. And I was like, man, Double Duty Ratcliffe was at my house about six months ago. You know, so, <laughs> you know, it, it's amazing. You know, I started to really appreciate, you know, all these great players that were friends with my, my grandfather and friends with my dad. You know, and Double Duty Ratcliffe spent a lot of time in Chicago. In his later years, he lived in Chicago. So, yeah. you know, I got a chance to know him. So I was very fortunate to know so many, um, you know, ex-Negro League players because of my family. You know, so I was, uh, you know, I, I definitely, I'll tell you a quick story. So, you know, my grandfather, you know, a guy that obviously was a no-nonsense type of person, you know, always shoot, shot you straight. You know, and I remember when I was a kid, you know, I think it was in Naperville Little League and at a rough game, you know, say, hey, man, I drove all the way up here to see two pop-ups. And I was like 10, 12 years old at the time. And my dad's like, dad, you can't. My dad, my dad was like, dad, you can't talk to him like that. You can't talk to him like that. And he goes, shut up, boy. I'm, I'm talking to my, my, my grandson. And the next, day, the next day, I go three for three with three ropes. But that was that motivation. Even at a young age, I, I needed that. I love that about my grandfather. So, again, I was very fortunate to, wow. to be around him, know him. And he's the one who urged me to sign uh, after my sophomore year of college, he said, hey, man, you're ready to go. And for him to give me that seal of approval, like, hey, wow. let's go. You're, you're ready to play pro ball. That gave me added yeah. confidence. And I knew if my grandfather said I was ready, I was ready. 
Jerry Harrison Jr. Uh, we're privileged to have on Inside the Clubhouse, Matt Spiegel and Bruce Levine every Saturday for you. And Jerry, those are some great stories and thank you for sharing that. I wonder if we can uh, jump to uh, the present situation right now. You were a valued teammate and, a, and one that people still talk about as a great teammate and person wherever you went uh, through your baseball travels. I wonder what your take is on uh, the situation with the Indians and uh, the, the unfortunate situation with their two pitchers in uh, Clevenger and Plesek that they had to just send out and the message getting through and not getting through all at the same time. How, how did you view it yourself? He's uh, confused at first because, you know, you saw what happened with the Cardinals. You know, they weren't following pro- protocols. You know, Major League Baseball, you know, made a pact basically throughout, throughout all the teams. And we're going stadium, hotel, or stadium, uh, home. Those are the three places. You cannot go out. You can't go to the store. You can't go to a bar. You can't go anywhere. So you had to create your own mini bubble. And for the Indians, the, the two players, to watch what the Marlins went through and watch what the Cardinals are going through now, I'm stunned that they went out. Hey, I understand Chicago's a great city. We all love Chicago. But if you have a responsibility to your team, and the Cleveland Indians, they understand that one of their teammates just had cancer. Just had cancer, just survived it. And what if something happened, they catch that virus and then pass it on to Carrasco? And what about their manager, Terry Francona, who also was a cancer survivor? So it's a very unfortunate situation. I know they are sorry that this happened, uh, but I, I commend the Cleveland players for taking action and taking this very, very seriously. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely commend the Indians for doing it. It's the kind of thing that just makes you so angry, doesn't it, on a very personal level? Because we all know people in this country who have not valued others. But this is this is your teammates, man. It's not just that you could bring down the whole league. You could literally kill a teammate. And, and I guess it took the full-on demotion to get the message across. And I hope the message got across. Apparently, Jerry, they weren't even... Sure, they were going to demote them until they had this full talk through yesterday in Detroit. They let those guys, Clevenger and Plesak, drive to Detroit separately and then talk with them and di- still didn't get the answers they wanted. So, 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 so down they go. I, I, I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine anyone on the Dodgers needing to have a lesson taught to them that way. And I don't know if that's a result of Dave Roberts or if it's just a result of being in a better situation or it's just a result of, uh, of how they're run. It seems like the Dodgers like the Cubs in this town um, and like the White Sox have really have a handle on this thing in terms of telling their players what to do and players following along. Dodgers have responded well. Your Dodgers have been outstanding about this. It's all about leadership guys. The Dodgers have tremendous leadership starting with Clayton Kershaw, Justin Turner, Dave Roberts, and really the owner, making sure that this is very, very important. And if you decide to play, it's only stadium, hotel, stadium, home. That's it. Those are the only three places you can go. If you want to go out and party, go to restaurants, do your thing, guess what? You need to opt out. You have every right to opt out. But if you decide to play and be around your teammates, you best believe you better make sure you follow all the safety protocols. And you're right. The Cubs have done an outstanding job. The White Sox as well. No surprise, both both clubs up there are doing a great job. And the Dodgers, guys, I'm telling you, I'm part of this organization. They are on it, man. They do an incredible job over here. 
Jerry, in closing with you, uh, we uh, look at the Dodgers. They seem to be ascending back to where they are uh, uh, over the last seven years, one of the very best, if not the best, team in the National League. And I was watching Kennelly Jansen uh, close out a game yesterday, and I was reminded of the end of the career of Lee Smith and Randy Myers, guys that used to throw 97, 98, that eventually uh, continued to be great closers with the illusion that they still threw 97, 98. They don't anymore. And then mixing in cutters and sliders and great command to get the job done because, you know, Jansen has lost his fastball to the point where it's 92, 93. And now, uh, now he's a pitcher. Can you talk a little bit about uh, where he's at and, and what you see on a daily basis with him? Bruce, I mean, you definitely do your homework, man. You're definitely on it. You've always had things, so there's no surprise there. You're exactly right. Kenley Jansen has lost a little bit of his fastball. He used to be around 96 to 97 about five or six years ago. You know, the last couple of years, the, the, the miles an hour has dropped a little bit. So this year, it's down to about 91 to 92, 93. That's where he's sick. So what he did, instead of that, you know, throwing that cutter all the time like Mariano Rivera, he's added a sinker. Okay, he added that two-seamer to keep the, the, the right-handed hitters honest. And he also throws his curveball a lot more. So he's a three-pitch pitcher. That's rare uh, out of a closer. So Kenley Jansen realizes, hey, I'm getting a little older. i got to make some adjustments, and he has. He's really adjusted nicely, and he's really pitched well. I love his curveball, and I love that two-seamer. It continues to get better each and every outing, and that confidence is back. Jerry, uh, Matt and I appreciate your time. Has always got such tremendous stories about your family and your experiences. Uh, I, like uh, all baseball fans, will enjoy and revel in the celebration of the 100-year anniversary of the Negro League baseballs, uh, Negro League baseball leagues, and and your your grandfather and your father and your family history. Thanks again for joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Take care, my friend. Anytime, guys. Uh, and appreciate the time as always. Thank you, Jerry. Jerry, Jerry Hairston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? What's some great? I, some great stories, Matt. Yeah. Um, it could could hang out and talk and talk just that stuff and just to hear him tell those stories uh, for a long time. I love that he said his grandfather didn't have the bitterness because it was a terrible exclusion. Um, what what baseball did, what all of society was doing at the time. But sometimes out of exclusion can come beauty, can come excellence. And what, what those guys built uh, with those leagues and the legacy that those leagues have for uh, a, a lot of people and a lot of descendants and some incredible memories, it's an absolutely beautiful thing to come out of exclusion. And that's the kind of thing to be celebrated. I'm glad baseball is squeezing that in this year when, as you say, they usually do it in April, but they're going to be doing it yeah. tomorrow. We'll see 42s on the yeah. back of every player in baseball tomorrow. The sad part, of course, is that uh, from a peak of 18% of all players being African-American in the late 70s, we're, uh, we're down to about 7% right now. And that hopefully will hmm. change over the next few years because uh, it is uh, something that's really important as far as I'm concerned for the sport going forward. So I, I had not realized that the Hairstons are tied with the Delahanties for the most family members ever to play in the big leagues. I remember learning about the five Delahanty brothers who played at a time when there were much fewer mm-hmm. players, people playing baseball. But how about the five Harrisons with, with Sam 
and with Jerry mm -hmm. Senior and Johnny and then Jerry Junior and Scott Junior and then there was another Sammy Junior and three of his kids all played in the minors. So there were four more in addition to the five that hit the bigs. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is, and it's a great family. I, I had the privilege of knowing Jerry, still do, Jerry Harrison, uh, and he was he was a great hitter in Major League Baseball. Played for the White Sox a long time. Got to know Scott and uh, and uh, Jerry, you know, when they were growing up, because they'd come to the ballpark with their dad. Just a a terrific hmm. family and uh, just a, a great experience. And when he talked about double duty Radcliffe. I had the, the great fortune of uh, meeting him and getting to know him. He would come to uh, White Sox Park back in the day in uh, the early 90s and uh, still be a presence every day. Hey, we have to take a break. We'll come back and close it down. He's Matt. I'm Bruce. It's Inside the Clubhouse every Saturday between 9 and 11 on 670 and 670thescore.com. Listen to Lawrence Holmes weekdays noon to two on the score. Coach manager David Ross. It's really important to one to empower your coaches because I've got great coaches that work their butt off. That's an adjustment every day on my part of trying to recognize the weight that this, this seat brings. Be a guy that can teach and, and has a lot of experiences. Lawrence Holmes noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com on Radio.com Sports Station. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. Stretch on the 3-2 pitch. Baez takes strike three called and the ball game is over. A backdoor curve, Baez caught looking, and Milwaukee wins it by a score of 4-3. to three. Highlight courtesy right here on 670 The Score. The Cubs lose a game. That's a rarity. 13-4 and four now. 8-2 at Wrigley. They will play again today at 1.20. Excuse me, 2.20 Central Time. Pre-game starts at about 1.20. Bruce Levine, Josh Hader couldn't spot that breaking ball all night long and still struck out a lot of people and got Baez with that breaking ball uh, over the strike sound. He and the, and the other kid... Um, that they've been using, the, the two of them together, Hader and, God, the, the name escapes me, the, the kid who went, De Devin Williams, Devin Williams. Right. They both have struck out more than 40% of the batters that they have faced this year. They, threw, they, got six, or they got eight outs last night. Six of them were strikeouts. Weaponry for Craig Council. Well, I'm a big fan of Craig Council because he knows how to uh, manipulate beginning, middle, and end of game, I think is well or better than any manager in baseball. Certainly he has the weapons, but he finds the, the right role for guys. You saw the manipulation of the game yesterday, uh, just the way that you laid it out there, uh, where you know they're trailing, all of a sudden they take a lead, and then you see, uh, you see the way that uh, the, the pitchers that he brings in negotiate their way through striking people out, getting people to swing. You know, the theme of our show, Matt, has been uh, pitchers throwing uh, uh, the illusion of a strike that isn't a strike to be successful. And nobody has done that better uh, than the Milwaukee Brewers over the last few years. And Council is the, the master of uh, ceremonies when it comes to getting the people in and out properly in those roles. I give David Stearns, the general manager of the team, a lot of credit for getting the talent but uh, I, I don't think anybody gets more out of their talent in baseball as a manager than Craig Council. Yeah, um, last night, Council, you know, he calls those guys outgetters, calls his pitchers outgetters, um, which is just a great, 
kind of hilarious way to talk about it. And just in general, I mean, he's a very, he's a very likable, quirky guy. Um, last night, Christian Yelich said that he found a bucket of gum up the hallway um, after a couple of bad uh, appearances. And he said, you know what? I'm going to start chewing gum and stop thinking about my crappy at bats. And so he grabs some gum. I assume it's double bubble. That's still what they're using at the ballpark, I believe. Yeah, we, we, uh, we don't get to know now because we haven't been in a uh, clubhouse <laughs> since March. <laughs> oh, God. Who knows the next time we will be. But, again, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's impressive. And, uh, and the Brewers uh, will always be competitive uh, with this type of bullpen philosophy and a, and a manager like Council. It uh, is shocking, absolutely. though. In, in closing out, Matt, it is, it is shocking. Uh, to watch uh, the Cubs lose a game and everybody going, what? They they lost uh-huh. the game. They're not going to play. They're not going to play 800 baseball this year. Yeah. Wow. Right. I know. Like sh- I, I, I kind of I kind of I assumed that the Fegley pinch hit was going to work. I, I thought it was going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's, it's everything else has worked. Hey, hey Matt, thanks for uh, it's great to have you back. Uh, uh, looking forward to. Uh, uh, hit and run tomorrow. I know you have some great guests lined up. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Also on our website at uh, 670thescore.com as I write Sox and Cubs every day. We have people to thank, Matt, don't we? Yeah, Julio Rosseo does a great job producing and did so today. Thank you to him. Thank you to our guests on the show, Jerry Harrison Jr., um, Bobby Nightingale, who covers the Reds for the Cincinnati Inquirer. And thank you as well to Ryan Dempster from the Marquee Network. We uh, will talk to you soon. Yeah, Yeah, Bruce. Thanks, man. Um, At Matt Spiegel 670, if you want to find me there, I'll be with you tomorrow morning for Hit and Run. Tony Gwynn Jr. among the guests on that show. And uh, enjoy Cubs baseball this afternoon. And two games between the 10 and 9 White Sox and the 2 and (laughs) 3 St. Louis Cardinals. What a weird season as it rolls forward. Have a great day, everybody. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.